Every fall, we uh, like to have Nazarene Theological Seminary join us uh, as they talk a little bit about the school. We'll get to hear, and I'll introduce the president momentarily. And uh, they have representatives, uh, enrollment counselors that are with us today. Uh, Mike and Leslie are here on the second row. If they could stand, let's welcome them. They are here today. Mike Kennedy is a graduate of ENC, and uh, it's good to have you back, Mike. And Leslie's actually recruiting for the 365M program, which is a program where you, it's an intercultural studies program where for 10 months of the program you live and serve overseas. We have two ENC alum in that program now. Sarah Dutra and Weston Jordan are preparing to go to Australia for 10 months as they work towards their master's degree. And uh, for those of you that uh, may not be religion majors, keep in mind that seminary is not just for those who are studying religion at this point. Point in their journey. I was a business major and ended up going to Nazarene Theological Seminary and ended up going into ministry. So if the Lord is stirring in your heart, or even if in the back of your mind, maybe you've had a mission trip experience, or maybe while serving in the church, you're feeling something or sensing that maybe God wants you to do more, though you're not sure what that is, I'd really encourage you to talk to Mike or Leslie or Dr. Sunberg today, uh, as they'll be with us. And Mike and Leslie will be with us all week. Uh, Again, just, uh, I'd encourage you to at least have the conversation. There's a table set up in in the student center, and you you can chat with them. Well, Dr. Sunberg, uh, President Sunberg, as busy as she is at Nazarene Theological Seminary, she's with us for the entire day, and you may have received the email that she'll be doing uh, three different uh, either chapel talks or lectures this afternoon, um, chapel this morning, a lecture this afternoon, and an evening worship service, and tonight we're very excited for it. it'll be the campus debut, the campus debut of the ENC Gospel Choir, the new ENC Gospel Choir, so come out and support them. And give them encouragement. And it's also an opportunity where you can receive three chapel credits today. Maybe you received my email. That means this week alone you can earn four chapel credits, which is 20% of your chapel credit requirement. And we give God praise that you have... You give God praise that we have such an opportunity. So hopefully you'll take advantage of that. But there are other opportunities as well. Dr. Sunberg will be speaking, into the, speaking to the Intro to Missions class. And they'll actually be meeting in the President's Dining Room at 1250. Dr. Restrick teaches that class. So maybe there's something stirring within you about missions. And you'd like to sit in on that and then get to know Dr. Restrict as well. A lifelong minute, uh, missionary. Um, I'd encourage you to do that. So know that you're invited to go in there at 1250 and, uh, and meet with them. Also, we have several visitors with us today. I won't embarrass them and have them stand, but we have several pastors that are here today, one from the Educational Caucus across the region and others that have come in to spend time with Dr. Sunberg. Can we welcome our pastors that are with us today? And uh, let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Sunberg. She's one of really the strongest and greatest leaders we have in the Church of the Nazarene today. And when I was teaching the first year experience class, we talked a lot about... uh, There's much more that unites us in Christ than there is that separates us. But we recognize that there are different things that separate us in the Christian traditions and denominations that we come from. And it was new to many of you uh, to see Reverend Amanda Cash preach in chapel and that she's an ordained minister in the Church of the Nazarene. We're not the only uh, Christian denomination that ordains women. But since our inception over 100 years ago, uh, we have been ordaining women in the Church of the Nazarene that have been called to pastor and to lead in the church. And uh, Dr. Sunberg is now called to lead our our seminary here in, in the United States, and we're thankful for her leadership. Dr. Sunberg has a Ph.D. in historical theology from the University of Manchester in the United Kingdom a Master of Arts from Nazarene Theological Seminary, and a Bachelor's of Science from Mid-America Nazarene University. In 2012, Olivet Nazarene University awarded her an honorary Doctor of Divinity. 
Dr. Sundberg is an ordained elder in the Church of the Nazarene. She was ordained during the 13 years that she and her husband, Chuck, served as missionaries in the former Soviet Union, where she served as Director of Compassionate Ministries as well as Director of Theological Education. In 2005, the Sundbergs returned to the U.S., and in 2011, she and her husband accepted a call to serve as co-district superintendents for East Ohio. She has also served on numerous committees representing both Nazarene denomination and and within the Wesleyan holiness tradition. In January of this year, Dr. Sundberg was elected as president of Nazarene Theological Seminary. She and her husband are proud parents of two adult daughters, Krista, who along with her husband Ian live in England, and Cara, who with her husband Justin live in Kansas City. Dr. Sundberg is also very good friends with our president, Dr. Corliss McGee, another critical leader in the Church of the Nazarene. And, of course, we are certainly hoping that Dr. Sundberg will share some embarrassing stories of her dear friend uh, as she speaks to us uh, throughout this day. We would be blessed by that, just putting it out there uh, for you. And then uh, to shift gears just for a minute, but we really should recognize this and take a few moments. Uh, many of you may not know the name Joyce Young, uh, but you will recognize her. And uh, we have a picture of her. And many of you see her in the calf. She would eat in the calf anywhere from five to ten times a week. You'd see her at all the basketball games. You'd see her walking around campus. And suddenly, uh, Doc, uh, Joyce became very ill and passed away on Saturday morning. Uh, Joy, Mrs. Young was a, a single woman and didn't have any immediate family. She had a couple of close, very, very close family friends. But whether you recognize it or not, you were her family. And I want to thank you for that. And... Um, Her love for you was deeper and more profound than you ever know, than you will ever know. And the amount of scholarships that she contributed to personally, or the amount of craft fairs she ran for scholarships, or the amount of work that she did around campus for scholarships, or the number of students she helped privately, confidentially, anonymously, financially, when bills would be paid and they wouldn't know, it is an untold number. You really can't even begin to fathom uh, what she did for you. And uh, I know you may have just known her as as the the polite woman that walked around campus or sat in the calf, but know that she really cared and loved you, and uh, we are going to miss her very much. But let me tell you a little bit about her life. Joyce Miller Young, 83, passed away peacefully, surrounded by close friends on October 18th, 2014. Born in Kindle, New Jersey, Joyce was the daughter of the late Jacob and Pearl Miller. Joyce is survived by her longtime cherished friend, Janice Free Newell, as well as her dear friends, David Cox and Aaron Stone. Over the past several decades, she was a special part of the Hall, Free, and Fish families. She was the former wife of Donald Young. Joyce attended Eastern Nazarene College in Quincy, Massachusetts, and began a 62-year teaching career after graduation. She taught at Ross Elementary School in Braintree for 43 years and continued to substitute teach there until she was 80 years old. As a very active part of the ENC community, Joyce organized many craft sales on the campus to fund scholarships. She enjoyed attending ENC sporting events and encouraged and supported many students over the years. Joyce was a member of the Wollaston Church of the Nazarene. Friends are respectfully invited to attend the visiting hours on Friday, October 24th from 4 to 7 p.m. at Cohane Funeral Home down here on Hancock. A celebration of her life will be held at Wollaston Church of the Nazarene right here in this sanctuary at 11 a.m. on Saturday morning. A private burial will take place in Kindlin, New Jersey. The Joyce E. Young Scholarship has now been established in Joyce's memory at ENC. Donations can be made and payable to Eastern Nazarene College. So even in her death, she is giving back to you. Pray with me. Father God, we just give you praise for the life, Lord, of this one that we've lost. You lead us through everything, God trial and hardship.
joy, celebration, God, through life and death. We pray, God, for Joyce's family and for the community, God, that will start mourning their loss. We pray, dear God, for comfort and peace. We pray that you would fill the spaces, Lord, that feel so empty. Lord, I pray that we would be inspired to follow you faithfully, to live our lives to the best of our ability for your kingdom. And even this morning, God, as we hear your word, I pray that you would speak truth into us, God. We pray, dear God, for President Sunberg as she comes. May her words go forth with power and clarity. May it bring transformation, God, to the places that need change. So we love you. We give you our hearts this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. What a beautiful time just to get to be here and to worship with all of you this morning and and to remember this beautiful life. I think sometimes we tend to just not always see those who are around who are giving so much. And the Lord just works in the nooks and crannies of life, and he works through individuals to make such a difference. And we give God the praise and the glory for that. Now, I have to confess, I was down there thinking, what kind of dirt do I have on Dr. McGee? I was really thinking about that. And um, she's looking at me over there like, you better behave yourself, right? But, um, but she and I, we have known each other for a long time. She lived in uh, in. Germany, Switzerland area. She was the president of European Nazarene College, and uh, we worked together in education in the Church of the Nazarene in Europe. And um, it happened to be that we were the two women that served in education, and we had a lot of meetings um, that we would have to go to, and we were always put together to be roommates because we were the two women. I guess that makes sense. So, um, and the other thing you have to know about living over there in Europe, um, Things like doing laundry and stuff, we kind of take that for granted here and maybe how easy that might be or something. Um, When we first moved to Moscow, which was 22 years ago, uh, there were no laundry facilities at all in the place where we lived that first summer. Um, I used to have to do all the laundry for my family in the cold shower at night. There was no place else to do that laundry. And so people used to wonder why people in that part of the world wore black all the time. There's a very practical reason for that. You don't have to wash it all the time. It doesn't show all the dirt. And so um, we kind of became known as the Blondes in Black. And uh, that was our nickname, the Blondes in Black. And uh, so we traveled a lot of places together, the Blondes in Black. And so we've kind of joked about that. And every now and then we still sort of show up at events wearing the same thing. Um, So, yeah. The other thing that's interesting is um, obviously our size difference. Um, I'm like, you know, the giant big friend. Um, twice the size that she is. And, and we'd go to Switzerland to visit her, and she'd go, here, borrow our car. And you just have to know something. If she ever lets you borrow the car, I can't even get in the car. Um, you know, you, get, you try to get in that front seat. I, I have learned, if Corliss loans me her car, you get in, you scoot in backwards, and then I have to move the seat all the way back. I can't even get my legs in there. So my, my dear friend... Um, We've had a lot of journeys together. We have been out in Central Asia in the middle of who knows what we've been in. But it's been a great experience. But I want to tell you something about her. She is genuine through and through. And what you see is what you get. She loves the Lord. She loves all of you. And uh, she is true and true. 
and I'm just grateful that she's my friend. So I hope you get to appreciate the fact for what a great leader you have here. So thank you for being my friend. Just for a little bit this morning, I want to talk about our necessity of dependence. And I'm sure that topic just gets you so excited on this rainy Wednesday morning. But I want us to go to Exodus chapter 4, and I know you've all brought your Bibles to chapel this morning. Can't wait to get them out, right? I see a few of you moving. I'm impressed. Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. You're not getting Bibles out. You're all getting your phones out, aren't you? Some of you are. Some of you are still sleeping. All right, Exodus 4, chapter 1. Then Moses answered, but suppose they do not believe me or listen to me, but say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw the staff on the ground and it became a snake. And Moses drew back from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and seize it by the tail. So he reached out his hand and he grasped it and it became a staff in his hand. Verse five, so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Now, the story of Moses is a fascinating one. You see, as we track through history, we know that there was a time that Moses felt that God had wanted him to save the people. Do you remember this story? The story, let me just put the context here where we are this morning. The story this morning is right after, I mean, this is this conversation in the burning bush and and all that. And God's talking to Moses and, and he's telling him to go on and to become a leader. But if you would go back in time, there was a time when Moses had already thought he was supposed to be the leader for those people. He had been raised by Pharaoh's daughter. He had had the best education you can imagine in this world. He had been raised up in a great family. He had all these resources about him. And when he got old enough and he realized who he was, he felt that he had leadership ability and he was taking that mantle upon himself and he was going to lead his people. And he failed miserably. I don't know if you remember He ended up killing a man. He lost the respect of the people. And so now here he is. He's gone away. He's been living in another country. And now God tells him, go back. And I want you to be a leader to these people who have rejected you. That's what's happening that day in that conversation. And there God talks to him. And in that moment, he does accept the commission from God, but with great reluctance. And that might be where some of us might find ourselves in the same story today. You see, we may be at a place of great reluctance. I don't know about you and your life journey. You are here. You're in college. And and, and so many of you are on this journey and probably in the journey trying to even figure out what it is I'm going to do and, and where am I going. And maybe even with great reluctance, you find yourself here in school. Some of us in the journey find ourselves at places of great reluctance. Now, I just moved to Kansas City in January, and I had gone to high school, junior high and high school and college in the Kansas City area. So for me, it was coming back home. It's been 29 years, and I don't know if you're paying attention to baseball, but there's something significant about that. You see, I left Kansas City, and they started losing. And I came back this year, and they're in the World Series. See, I think there's something significant about that. And I've been taking as much credit for it as I possibly can. But um, having been gone all those years, and I lived 13 years over in Russia, and so I've been away. I have been totally away. So 
in September, they had the 35th reunion of my high school graduating class, which lets you know I'm pretty old. So I've never been to my high school reunion. And I thought, here it is. It's in Kansas City, and I'm here, and I'm going to go to my high school reunion. So I go to the 35th high school reunion, and um, we get there, and they give us name tags. Now, I know you're too young. You don't get this. But they give us name tags with our high school senior picture on them. And they give those to you so we can figure out who's who because we don't look like what we used to look like. And can I just say, especially the guys, uh, there's just, I don't know, i just putting that out there. They're just like, there's no hair. They're, you know, they're just different than what they used to be. So, um, so you're looking really closely at these little black and white pictures and we're trying to figure out who's who. And, you know, and then you begin having conversations about, um, well, obviously you're having conversations about, well, who are you and what do you do and, and, and where are you in life? Now, you have to know that in high school, I mean, really, I was just known for being in the band. I was in the marching band. I played the flute. Yay, a few band players there. That's what I was, man. I loved it. Those are all my friends were the girls and guys in the band. And so, as a matter of fact, the flutes, the trombones, and the clarinets, we were all right back there at that 35th reunion the other day. And we were having a good time, and we were talking together and stuff. But then they begin asking you about your life and your life journey. And I'm thinking, you know, this life journey, like, because they ask you, what do you do now? And I'm thinking, how do they get that flute player from high school band to... She's a preacher and she's president of a seminary? I mean, how in the world did that happen? And as a matter of fact, I'm sitting there thinking, how in the world did that happen? You know? Um, and, and it is this thing about, I had to think about my journey. And what has brought me to the place? And I have to confess to you, there have been plenty of times along the way that I was reluctant. And there are plenty of ways in which I can relate to Moses. You might not believe this, but actually, I was quite the shy girl. And I'm thinking, this is a crazy thing that God has me doing. I like to stay in the background. Why in the world would God ask me and push me out there to do things that make me uncomfortable? How did that high school flute player in the band find herself in this place? And some of you are asking yourselves some of the same questions today. Why am I here? What is it that God wants me to do in my life? What is my life going to look like? And some of you are saying, (laughs) I am here because I am pretty reluctant because I do not have all the resources that I think that God might be asking me to do something with. Now, on the other hand, there are some of you in this room who are saying, you know what? I'm absolutely brilliant. I have You know, I have so much to offer ENC. They are so lucky that I am a student here. And and my professors are going to glean so much from everything that I have to share with them. And, 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 you know, you're just thinking, I've got all these talents and abilities, and I know what I'm capable of. And really, you might even be saying to yourself, you know, is this education even worth it? Couldn't I just get out of here and be doing things? Now, Moses stood before God. And he was reluctant because his reluctance came from an awareness of his personal limit limitations and he knew his own self-sufficiency. And there is something important in understanding the extent to which your personal resources, how far they're going to end up taking you in life. Examining himself and seeing what he had to bring to God, he actually began to complain. 
First of all, he said, now, God, why would you ask me to lead these people? They're not going to believe me. They've got to see something. They need some kind of a miracle. You see, he remembered that they had rejected him. And it feared him that they would reject him again. Did you know that in your own life, that present discouragements often arise from former disappointments? Did you get that? Your present discouragements often arise from former disappointments. And we might find ourselves right there with Moses. God, don't make me go out on a limb. You know, people might even laugh at me or worse. Who knows what the or worse is? Now, just a little confession to make. A few weeks ago, while I was in Kansas City, I was invited to preach at Kansas City First Church of the Nazarene. That's the church that I went to in junior high and high school. And uh, while I've been back there before as a missionary... I had never, ever been asked to preach in my home church. And um, you talk about former disappointments. I mean, all of a sudden, I felt like I was 16 years old again. And uh, I was nervous about preaching in that church that day. And I thought about what were my former disappointments. Well, I didn't just play the flute. I also played the piano. And and as a kid, um, they would ask me sometimes to play the offertory in church. And again, the shy girl coming out, I would be terrified to play the piano. Um, and I would get up there to do an offertory or something, and generally I played it way too fast because I figured, hey, if I played fast, I'd get it over with, you know? And people were kind of amazed at how fast my fingers could move on that piano, and they had no idea that it was absolutely nerves that were driving me crazy. And so then you get up to preach in front of these people, and the former disappointments are the things that I remember happened when I was 16, 17, 18 years of age. And they begin to be these voices in our head that begin to say, you can't do this. You don't have the ability to do this. And Moses had this recording in his head. They're not going to believe you. They don't want you to be their leader. He didn't want to trust God. And we sometimes begin to imagine what people are going to think about us. Moses was convinced that the people were not going to believe him. The reality is they did believe him. He just couldn't believe it at that moment. And, and sometimes we have to realize that we have to go out on a limb in terms of trusting God and listening to him. And sometimes we might feel like I might make a fool of myself in the midst of all of this. One of those places where uh, we learned to kind of make fools of ourselves was in Russia. We did live there for 13 years. We moved there 22 years ago, which is hard for me to believe. And when we went there, my husband and I didn't know how to speak Russian. And uh, we had to try and go to language school, and it was quite the amazing experience. Russia, I don't know if you've seen the Russian alphabet. It's not like ours. It's called the Cyrillic alphabet. We could not even read street signs. So we had to figure out even what every letter of the alphabet was and how to sound things out. And I remember the day we were so excited when we sounded out the word telephone. Oh, it says telephone. And, um, you know, we couldn't even read those things. And, uh, and talk about feeling like a failure. You go to language school and you're thinking, okay, God, I'm just going to give this to you. We're going to trust in you for what it is you want to accomplish in this place. And, um, and I, I will tell you this. If you're married, don't ever go to language class with your spouse. It'll last about a week. Either the marriage or the language class. One or the other. It'll last about a week. Um, just so you know, just a note here for those of you going into missions or anything. 
Um, now, this is a really stereotypical statement to say, but women tend to learn languages better than men, or easier. I, let me just say, easier than men. And, um, and it comes a little bit faster, and, and, and they do say it's because we tend to have this ability to just talk a little bit more than men. And, and, uh, and so we do this a little bit differently, and so it doesn't really work. But talk about going out on a limb. You have to realize, see, my husband wanted to wait until he knew how to speak Russian, perfectly to speak Russian. And then women, we tend to just practice it. You know, we're willing to make all the mistakes, and that's how you learn. You know, so it's like my neighbor comes over, and I and I point out to her, I want to show her that we have a Christmas tree, and I'm excited that I have a Christmas tree. For you see, under the 70 years of communism, they weren't allowed to celebrate Christmas, and so they had turned the Christmas tree into a New Year's Yule log. So nothing was Christmas. They had all their events were around New Year's. And, and so I was excited to say, I have a Christmas tree. And I brought her in and I said, see, I have a Christmas door. Because the word for door and tree are very similar. And she's just looking at me like, that's not a door. And I'm going, yes, it's my Christmas door. You know, you make those kinds of wonderful mistakes. Um, you make a lot of worse ones as well, but I won't share those with you. But... Now we begin to see the intervention of God by giving Moses three signs. And I just want us to focus on the first one, the staff. In Exodus 4-2, the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. So what was the significance of his staff? Actually, the staff was the symbol of Moses' self-sufficiency a symbol of the limitations that he had placed upon himself. You see, Moses said, I am a shepherd. This is what I do. These are my talents and these are my abilities. And some of you are saying, this is me. This is what I have. This is what I'm capable of doing. And some of you think you got a lot that you can do. And some of you don't think you've got very much, but it's what's in your hand. This is me. This defines who I am. This defines what I can do in my life. Too often, we look at circumstances and we limit God's ability to intervene by our own limitations. You see, Moses was skilled with a staff, but then God asked him to do something crazy with it. He said, throw it down. So he threw the staff on the ground, and it became a snake, and Moses drew back from it. You see, the ordinary tool in Moses' hand in that instant became a medium with which to display divine power. When Moses let go of it, and allowed God to use it in an extraordinary way, the ordinary became God's instrument. And suddenly, things were able to happen that were much greater than anything that Moses could ever have even thought. One of the things about living in Russia during those years was learning to see the hand of God at work in doing miracles that we had never even imagined. One of those was my next-door neighbor. His name was Timofey Mitrofanovich. And Timofey came to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. It was amazing the way the Lord transformed his life. Timofey had previously worked for Stalin. He was the secretary of the Moscow Communist Party, and his job had been to persecute Christians. And now he's my next-door neighbor, and he goes to church with us every Sunday. Well... All summer long, he and his wife, Larissa, used to live outside the city of Moscow in a little dacha, and they would grow vegetables in their garden. And then they would come back into the city for the wintertime. They didn't drive, and so one time Timofey said to me, Carla, can you drive me out into the country to get our fruits and vegetables and stuff, and we'll give you some, and we'll share food with you, but I need a ride. I said, that's fine. 
So we went to get down into the car, and it was not long after Timothy had given his life to Jesus, and he was so cute. I mean, here was this former persecutor of Christians, and we get in the car, and Timothy says, can I just say a prayer for us today as we travel in the car? I said, that'd be fine. Well, he whips out a piece of paper, and he already has his prayer all written out, and he unfolds it, and he reads this most beautiful prayer for God's angels to watch over us as we travel that day. Well, we head out into the country. And you have to know, I really was rather nervous about driving in Russia. I was driving a Russian car. It was a Russia Neva. It was a 4 by 4 that they had there. It has this choke. And, I mean, it was just an incredible car that helped your prayer life. And, um, <laughs> and Timofey um, didn't drive. And have you ever gotten directions from somebody that doesn't drive a car? They tend to tell you last minute, oh, you turn there. You know, they have no idea what it takes to to plan out turning and all that stuff. So, I mean, it was a stressful drive getting out there into the country. We get out to his little dacha, his country home, and he said, turn right into there. And so I see where to turn right. And what I didn't know was that there was all this overgrown grass. I didn't know that there was actually a little bridge driving over a culvert of water. So I just turn, and I go right off the bridge, boom, into the culvert. And now my back wheels are up in the air. But we are in front of Timofey's little country home. Um, and, and he's all, you know, what do we do now? What do we do now? And I said, well, I don't know. We're going to find somebody to pull us out of the ditch. So we climb out of the car, and I wave down a car. And, you know, all good Russians, they would have ropes in their car to pull people out of the ditch. No joke. They really did. So we, would t- we tied our car, and we pulled my car back out of the ditch. And then I pulled in, and we loaded up the car. And we loaded up with fruits and vegetables, and we had the cat, and we had a bird in the cage, and Larissa in the back seat, and we begin to take off to go back home to Moscow. And as we're heading down the road, all of a sudden, my drive shaft falls off. And I'm looking behind me, and there's pieces of my car just laying in the highway behind me. I'm thinking, this is not a good thing. I pull over, and I go get all my car pieces. And um, I put them in the back seat with Larissa and the bird and the cat. And, um, and Timofey says, what do we do? And I said, I don't know. We're going to pray about what we're going to do here. And, and, and so I waved down a car. And I said, can you tow me to the next village? And we'll go to the car shop and we'll see if they can fix my car. And they said, well, we could do that. That next village has had two automobile repair shops. But they were in such competition with each other that they killed each other recently. And they're all dead. I said, well, that's really helpful. Um, They'd had a little shootout in the city. So there's nobody left alive to take care of my car. So the next thing I do is, uh, (laughs) this is really not a made-up missionary story. It was like for real over there. So I get out in the middle of the road because I see a crane coming my way. And I'm thinking that crane could really pull me a long distance. So I I get the crane to pull over. And I hook my car to the crane. And I said, just take me back to where I started. So we get back to Timofey's home, and I've been towed there, and I'm thinking, now what do I do? Well, the police over there just love to stop people and pull people over and take your car and get bribes and stuff. So I look across the highway now, and there are policemen over there, and they're pulling people over. So I thought, well, I will ask the police for help, which is probably a stupid thing to do, but I'll try. So I went over to ask the police for help, and they are like, we don't help people. Um, (laughs) I should have known that. So um, they had a guy next to him, and he said, well, they've taken my vehicle from me. And I said, well, do you want to look at my car and see if there's anything you can do to help fix my car? And no joke, the guy comes over, and he looks at it, and he said, do you have a coat hanger? So we went and got a coat hanger, and with a coat hanger, 
The guy rigged my car up so that we would have front-wheel drive and it would work. So Larissa and I, with the car parts and the cat and the bird and all the stuff, sat in the back seat. Timothy and this other guy sat in the front seat because by now I'm just shaking. And I said, do you want to drive the car back into Moscow rigged with a coat hanger? He goes, yeah, I'll do it. So he drives us all the way back into the city limits. We let him off at a police checkpoint. We drive all the way back home, and I am just sweating bullets that I have made it back to my home in Moscow. And Timofey just looks at me, and he said, Isn't it wonderful how God answers prayer? And uh, I hadn't really been seeing it that way. But he said, Remember when I prayed before we left? He said, God sent that angel, didn't he? He said, that's who that man was that fixed the car with the coat hanger. And I thought, oh my. My own human self-sufficiency. You see, just like Moses, I'm challenged to look at what it is that I have. God says, throw it down. I can do much more than you can ever imagine. And before Moses could go back to Egypt and lead the people to freedom, he had to go through his own schooling. Some of you are going through your own schooling. What have you brought here to ENC? Don't depend on what's in your hand. And don't think that what you see now is all that you can do for God. Just as Moses had to learn, so we must learn a dependence upon God. You've come to school. You've brought your staff with you. I challenge you, throw it down. God has more in mind for you than you could ever ask or imagine. May we learn complete and total dependence upon him. I've asked the musicians to come this morning. They're going to play a song for us. And I'm just going to ask you, would you stand, please? And I just want this song to be our meditation from our heart. I want you to listen, and I want you just to ask God, maybe to reveal to you, whether there is something that you've been holding on to, whether you've been creating limitations in your own life, and whether God has been saying to you, let it go. Let the past go. Let the future go. Let your ideas of what you're going to accomplish in life, let them go. And trust totally and completely in him. They're going to sing. Let's just ask God to search us this morning. Here I am. Here I stand. Lord, my life is in your hands. Lord, I'm
that truly be the prayer of our hearts. May that truly be the prayer of this community. We give ourselves to you. We pray these things now in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. You are dismissed. Join us tonight, 7 o'clock, leadership seminar today at 2.15 at Schrader. Hope you can be here.